you're a star in my head You, the need for is war in my friends True, you're so bad when I need to be in time But I don't want war with you or my friends You're my best friend You're my best friend What up though? Welcome to the I Heart Miko podcast. I'm Miko Grimes. Today is April 16th, 2020 and this is episode 209. Uh, coming to you today from sunny South Florida, still quarantined. This is day 36 for myself. But as you guys all know, since you've been listening to my podcast, I haven't stopped working and bringing you content. Um, it's been a long time since I've been able to talk about sports, and I'm so happy today to finally give you some sports content and not just X's and O's. We're going to talk about the NFL CBA, um, some of the things that took place that were good, some of the things that were bad, and just dive really deep into it so that you as a listener can understand exactly what's going on and why there are certain players who have issues with it and why it should be uh, re-voted on and, and actually um, dismissed from the entire uh, by the entire NFLPA. So joining me today is seven-year NFL professional football player, Eric Reed. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nico. And also joining me is Ben Micellis, who happens to be Eric's attorney. So just in case things get a little tricky, we need somebody here to make sure things stay on track and there's no issues legally. So Ben, thank you so much for joining my podcast as well. Thanks for having me, Miko. So I've been, Eric, I don't know if you know this, I've been kind of bugging Nessa and Cap about getting you on because I follow you and I see that you're a big voice uh, for a lot of players that don't, that don't even know that they really need you and should appreciate you. But you happen to be one of the people that, that I enjoy uh, following online for content and just pure, honest um, info about what's going on in your league and so um i finally got you know you on here to discuss the cba but before we get into the cba i have a lot of uh listeners who don't quite know much about you so can you kind of introduce yourself to my listeners um i'm just a guy i'm trying to do the right thing um <laughs> trying to trying to do the will of god um by by standing for truth and justice um when things happen that that aren't right, um, I just try to fight the good fight. Try to fight the good fight. And, and Ben, I wanted to get a little bit of info from you as well. I wanted to know how long you've been practicing law and if this is a normal type of law that you practice with NFL players or do you do things outside of this? Yeah, so I've been practicing law now for a little bit over 10 years. I represented Eric and Colin Kaepernick um, in the collusion case against the mm -hmm. NFL. Um, I do a lot of sports law, a lot of entertainment law. You know, I met Eric and Colin because I was doing a lot of work helping families who were uh, victims of police shootings, who had a family member who was a victim of police shootings. So I did a lot of civil rights cases. And really what Eric's standing up for here, you know, is a civil rights issue, which is how are we treating disabled players or how are we not treating disabled players with respect to you know, this CBA and not treating them fairly. Now, Eric, I knew who you were as a, a safety because of LSU. And congratulations to you guys for a championship this year. I'm sure you were probably excited about that. Yeah, I got but, the right. Yes, I, I congratulate to you guys. Now, I, I um, 
I was already following Colin um, in San Francisco because um, I thought he was a good player. He's a black quarterback. I'm always loving black quarterbacks. I love the way he played the game. And then you came into the league, and I didn't really know much about you until, um, well, first of all, you made the Pro Bowl. So that's kind of, I was like, oh, a rookie made the Pro Bowl. It's pretty dope. You know, you, you're, you've been doing your thing, you know. And when I started following you, I noticed that you and Colin began to call each other brothers and family. Now, And, and I'm a wife of a player. He happens to play in the secondary um, on defense. And I know they don't fraternize with offensive players, especially the quarterbacks. There's just not a connection in that way. So how did you and Colin connect? Was it because of the issues or did you guys become friends on the team outside before you had all these um, things in common with how um, black people are being treated in America? Um, I would say your experience is accurate. Normally um, offensive players and defensive players don't really congregate, especially quarterbacks and DBs. Um, but me and me and Colin, our relationship started in the weight room. We both um, would get to the practice facility early in the morning to get our workouts in before before we started our day in meetings. And so that's really where we, we our friendship started. But it really went to a different level when um we we decided to protest the systemic oppression of black and brown people in this country. Um and that's really when our friendship became a brotherhood. Mm. Yeah, that was a pretty uh, monumental year, 2016, when Colin was caught kneeling because people think that he was trying to do it for attention. When in reality, he was just peacefully protesting. And then to see a, a man like yourself who, you know, you were young. You know, you guys were young in the league. You, you, most young NFL players are pretty dumb. I'm just keeping it real. They don't really know what's going on. They don't even know to do the things that you guys are doing. And so props to you guys for, you know, just putting your neck out there and, and willing to, you know, risk it all for not only your own families, but families that look just like yours. So I, I commend you guys for that. And, um, and, and, you, and you, you, you paid a big price for it. As Ben said, he had to represent you guys in a collusion case. And so one of my questions for you, uh, Eric, also is, I get this a lot as a reporter, but also as a wife of a player. A lot of fans and people say, oh, if the league is so bad, if you have to do all these things and point out all these bad things that the league isn't doing, and why, why do you play? Why, why don't you do something else? And, and my answer to that is, first of all, I met my husband. He was already in the NFL. Second of all, just because something is bad, or like McDonald's, you could work at McDonald's and still have an issue with the fact that it's not real food. You know, like people don't understand that. So when people ask you, why do you constantly bring up the issues that this league has and how they're treating you guys? And what, what do you say back to people that say that to you? They say, why don't you just quit? Why do you play for them? Well, for me, for that which I love, I criticize. Um, I'm my biggest critic. Um, and then if you know me and if you're in my circle and you're somebody I love, then I'm going to critique you. Um, especially in the world of sports, um, we are constantly critical of each other on a day-to-day -day basis, day in and day out. Our careers depend on it. Um, and so I approach life in the same way. James Baldwin said that he loves America so much that he reserves the right to critique her, to criticize her. Um, and, and I find myself feeling the same. Um, I want what's best for people. Um, I want what's right, what's just. And so I have a platform and I choose to use that platform to speak for people who, who aren't being heard. Mm. Very noble. 
and very needed today because we had lots of leaders in the 70s and we all know that most of them were murdered or executed in some kind of way. But today it's a little different. It's a little tougher to get away with something like that. So although it may appear easier, you're still risking a lot you know, just to, to speak out and, and stand up for, for how you how you feel. And another way that you're standing up and speaking out is with the NFL's new collective bargaining agreement. Um, before the vote even came out, there were lots of players coming out against it and, and kind of kind of pity patting around what the true issues were and saying had all these issues. But then when the vote came out and it was passed and I saw that it was 1,019 votes to 959 votes, which means about 500 players didn't vote. I couldn't understand that. Do you understand why so many players chose not to vote for something that is so important to their future? I wouldn't say that they chose just to blatantly not vote. The fashion with which we were told to vote um, didn't lend to much didn't it wasn't very efficient to me um i don't check my email on a daily basis i I try to i check it every day or two i just so happened to check my email on a particular day and i got an email from the nflpa saying to vote on the cba which was news to me i didn't i didn't even know this was happening um because it's been a whole year this we're the cba isn't due until isn't up until next year Right. And so I'm, I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I was reading it correctly. Like, so you want me to vote on the new CBA now? I'm like, okay, this is, this is out of nowhere. Um, so I, I can only imagine how many guys, you know, didn't check their email um, or didn't know that it was happening. And furthermore, I didn't know anything about the new CBA. I had to ask Ben to review it for me just so I could get it in layman's terms. I mean, it's all, it's all, it's a legal document. It's all in, in language that lawyers understand. Um, we hadn't been debriefed on it. We didn't receive any charts, any graphs, any comparables, anything to make the 456-page document digestible in any way, shape, or form. So um, I didn't even have an understanding of what I was voting on until four or five days later when Ben was able to give me a breakdown of what the document said. And Ben, I wanted to ask you also, what do you think of the NFL sending out a 400-plus page document to people who can't read it and asking them to vote immediately as an attorney. What did you, and also what did you advise Eric to do? Yeah, I was, I was shocked. So Eric called me on March 5th, said, Ben, I got a big task for you. I said, what is that? He goes, I got the CBA. I want you to review. It's a 456 page document, you know, and I'm working on a million other things. And I said, well, when are they telling you the vote is? And at that point, they wanted them to vote. They ended up moving it back like three days. To the 14th or something like that, right? It was, it was originally the 12th um, mm-hmm. or the 13th, and then they moved it back. So in any case, it was about 10 days that the players had to vote on this incredibly complex document on a non-CBA year. And then even when you get through the 456 pages, the 456 pages incorporate by reference all these other agreements like complex disability plans, um, you know, and other side letters that, you know, players don't have access to. So overall, it's more like 1,000 to 1,500 pages of documents when you really have to do the cross-references. And we were in the middle of, and still are in the middle of, you know, a global pandemic where players were just trying to take care, you know, of their loved ones and their family. So thinking even about voting on the CBA in a non-CBA year, you know, was shocking. Here was the other shocking fact. The executive committee, the committee that was tasked with first review, 
voted no, like seven five against the CBA. There's no other parliamentary body where an executive committee votes no, and then you rush it to a vote. If the, if the initial body says no, you go back and you renegotiate, and here you had a year to mm-hmm. renegotiate. So I was shocked. I went to Eric. We, we went over together what a lot of the issues were with the CBA. You know, and Eric, when he found out, was, was appalled. And he said, how are you doing some of these things to, to disabled players in particular? And these are promises broken. Now, Eric, he spoke about the NFL PA voting no at first and then rushing it through. And it is, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know all the rules or how the NFLPA is supposed to work. But what I do know is if you have voted for these people to speak for the some 3,000 players in the league, I would think that they would also go back to the league and say to them, this isn't enough time to go over all of these documents for every player. We need time to first, as the committee, go over it with the executive um, director, who is Maurice Smith, and then go back, report to the players exactly what it means, and then vote. Why do you think the NFLPA was okay with rushing this through after a no vote? I couldn't tell you. I, I honestly could not tell you the answer to that question. It's, it's peculiar to me. Um, as Ben said, especially after the executive community voted no to the CBA, mm-hmm. um, I believe that the correct process should have been to not send it to the voting members of the NFL, meaning all players to vote on it at that point. They should have went back to the NFL at that point to get um, an agreement that the executive committee would have been satisfied with. Now, I, I did some research on D. Murray Smith. This is probably back in 2008, 2009, when he first um, – ruined the league with that 10-year deal and and I was already a sports reporter at the time on radio and I was saying to myself what what person would ever sign a 10-year labor deal and I'm thinking about just regular work not NFL but regular work regular unions you know you would never want to be tied to something for 10 years because when you first sign a contract in the first year, you're still filling it out, seeing what's good for you, seeing what's bad for you. By the second or third year, you kind of know the things you absolutely hate about it. And by the fourth year and maybe fifth year, I feel that's when the, the, the agreement should, you know, expire because then you have new things that are going on just in the world in general. Money is changing. Business is changing. So why do you think Demari Smith at, in 2009 convinced the league to sign a 10-year deal. And now again in 2020, another 10-year labor deal. What, what, ben, let me ask you, what would be going through D. Maurice Smith's mind when telling the players to sign a 10-year labor deal? Well, I think if you look at D. Maurice Smith's history, he's been a lot about self-preservation. You know, he's changed the voting rules that kind of change it from a general population of all the players voting to like a core group of voters. So he's really been a a lot about staying in power, you know, and, you know, I think in his own mind, you know, he doesn't want to be the guy who's there during a strike. So he just wants to have a deal for the sake of a deal and to be able to say, look, we've negotiated this deal and not really kind of lean into the hard, difficult work. The, The rep of the NFLPA really has been, they just don't want to get their hands dirty fighting for, for any, you know, real controversial, difficult issue, you know, and they always fumble the ball, you know, unless it's, you know, something 
really basic and you know and, and super simple so i think a lot of it is self-preservation a lot of it's just delivering a deal you know and as as d called to it himself, say you got a deal we need labor peace we need labor peace but labor peace at the expense of labor doesn't deliver what the purpose of a labor union is all right. And both of you guys can chime in on this. I want to read off a list of things. I had a sports reporter named Omar Kelly on my podcast a few weeks back, actually the day after the deal was signed and um, maybe a couple of days afterwards. And he was able to skim through. And here are some of the things that he claimed. I flame burled him, by the way. But here are some of the things that he claimed were positives in this CBA. He said uh, no, there, about the no more weed testing, uh, $1.5 million in game and ownership uh, stake, which in 10 years will equate to $1.6 billion. He said lower tier players gain $100,000 in salary. And in nine years, the minimum salary will, will go from $500,000 to $1 million. He said there were better benefits, more money into healthcare, tuition reimbursement, practice squad players get raises and more rights and also 401k. And then he said, um, uh, the deal benefits the lower end players because there's 170 players in the league of about 3,000 that make 4.2 million a year and the rest of them are just, you know, at the bottom. And so he called those pluses and I happened to laugh at him because I just, I, I didn't, I didn't understand why he thought any of those were pluses, but can you guys chime in if you, if you know of any pluses for this new CBA? I, I mean, look, is, is weed, is weed a, a plus? I mean, yeah, but P players should be able to have CBD and things to treat pain anyway. So mm -hmm. it's like, we'll give you weed and we'll raise the salary for minimal players like a hundred grand. But, you know, when you're injured and you're disabled for life, when you really need the treatment, we're going to deprive you of that. We're going to change the definition of disability and we're going to preclude you from getting disability benefits. We're going to cap disability benefits at $48,000 from two fifty. And for the retired players, we're going to put offsets that are going to lower money that we had guaranteed them to have. So sure, is it a benefit that the minimum comes up a little bit? Sure, but the minimum should be way higher, you know, to begin with. Exactly. But to be able to, you know, do what they need to do to manage pain in the first place. But it's, it's just an offensive negotiating tactic when you break it down. Here are some breadcrumbs, you know. Here, take some weed, take 100 grand more as we carve out all of your other benefits that are going to be really necessary for your life care. The average duration of a player's career, you know, is about two to three years in general. Mm -hmm. And you are pretty much a hundred percent going to be guaranteed you will be disabled for life um, and have a disability rating at some point. So what's more important, a hundred grand raise that you should have anyway, you know, for two years to three years of playing or the $250,000 plus the other care that you should have for 50 years. It's not difficult. It's not difficult math. Something else that's important to remember is that they also extended the season. So while you're talking about raising minimum salary, players also playing more games every year. They extended the regular season of the game. They extended the postseason of the game. So the NFL loves to talk about health and safety of players, but all the while you have a longer season and they're taking away disability payments. Well, my husband and I have a lot of discussions about the league. When he first got with me, he, I was a, this very same loudmouth girl on the radio who was basically calling out the NFL and also the NBA at the time 
for whatever things that were wrong, whatever issues that there were, I've always spoken for the players. And when I talked to my husband about the CBA, he says that the reason that he thinks that this this uh, CBA passes because the younger players have no care for the veterans, for the retired players. They, they're only thinking about their next check, the, the next three years of their career, and they're going to be out of here. So they're trying to give themselves a benefit, not knowing that someday they will be these retired players who need these benefits. And, and at right now, they don't care. And, and Eric, I've seen you posting some things about players' wives speaking out. What are some of the retired veteran players' wives saying about this deal and how it's going to affect their family? Well, I'll, I'll start with I haven't seen a breakdown of who voted on what, so I, couldn't, I can't say that it's the younger players' vote that pushed the CBA through. But what I can say wholeheartedly is that no player was adequately informed on the substance of the CBA by the NFLPA. Again, I got the document on a random day sitting on my phone checking my email. Didn't know it was coming. Had to reread it to make sure I was – interpreting it right that they wanted me to vote on the next CBA. It, it was out of the blue. Um, and for your question, talking about the wives of former players, these women have, they no longer have a career. They can't, they can't have a job because they, their job is to be the caregiver for their husbands who deal with to, total and permanent disabilities from playing this game. Um, and then they, they can't even be paid to be the caretaker the NFL doesn't allow them to receive payment for the 24-hour-a-day job that they do, which is caring for their husbands who, who are in a state where they, they need to be cared for. One of the big issues and the main reason that I really needed you on here is because you were the only person that I saw uh, identify that the CBA had changed after the vote. And I'm, I'm imagining, Ben, that was because of you. Tell me exactly what changed and if it's legal, Ben, please. So it's not legal to change a contract after the vote. Um, basically what they changed is they applied offsets, reductions in payments to disabled players who applied for disability before January 1 of 2015. And that disability applied to that group of players. Previously, that offset only applied to players who applied for disability after January 1, 2015. So a whole new group of players mm -hmm. based on a new sub-provision that was added after the vote now discovered that the benefits they were having were going to be reduced by thousands of dollars each month because they were going to apply. It's somewhat complex but a social security disability offset, so a reduction you know, in the overall payments. Now these were guaranteed payments that these families relied on when they were also getting mortgages and loans and things like that. So now all of a sudden this whole new group of family who weren't even identified in the initial CBA that players got to vote on discovered, wait a minute, our rights, our benefits that we were promised are gonna be taken away and what are we gonna do? Eric and I also interviewed, you know, people, you know, who said, I may have to sell my home now, you know, I'm not even sure what my next move is, because I was relying on that money. But the fact that they changed it, you know, in my whole lifetime as a lawyer, you know, in over a decade of experience, and I've spoken to lawyers who practice for 40 years, even if it's a minor change to an agreement, like a comma, you know, or a period misplaced, or a formatting issue, 
you have to go back. But Eric and all of the players got a document to vote on that they couldn't really even read in the first place. But even once they then read with it, read it, try to make an informed vote, have to get through all the BS, like the BS you've been told about better benefits and things like that that aren't true. You then find out that there are a total absolute change in the language. And then the NFLPA goes, first they say, Eric Reed is lying, you know, on a press release, which is right. false because when you actually go down, they go, well, actually he's right. You know, we made the change, but the change was not substantive. So we can make the change based on our side agreement that we have, you know, with the NFL. So legally defective and honestly, just morally repugnant that they would then even put out this press release to say, Eric reads false allegations and then admit that Eric was right in the bottom and then you know, give it to their media friends to write Eric reads, uh, you know, Eric reads allegations completely false. I mean, that type of leadership is, is crazy. That type of leadership is, is ridiculous and that type of leadership should be voted out. We can't stand for that. And I mean, when you think about America, this country, I can only speak for where I've lived, and I see things like Flint, where water was contaminated, people's lost lives, um, no one went to jail. And then you see our pharmaceutical companies and our Food and Drug Administration committing genocide pretty much all the time. No one's getting, being held accountable. So are you telling me that the NFL will not be held accountable for changing something in a legal document that will stand for another 10 years? Well, I, Eric and I are going to do whatever we can to hold them accountable. You know, I think the first and foremost is bringing awareness to the issue, but obviously there's legal recourse, you know, that we can take. You know, I think unfortunately in our society right now, some of the groups you mentioned, you know, when I watch these ridiculous Trump press, whatever you want to call, whatever the hell they are, the like you've almost given up hope in certain yeah in certain areas, which I hate to say, but what makes this ridiculous is that this NFL PA is a group that's supposed to be labor and they're supposed to be the quote unquote good guys and they're not. And when the right. good guys are the bad guys and you can't even tell the difference, that's what becomes you know truly tragic when your own union is fighting against its own union members in such an obvious and disgusting way. Yeah, I saw Russell Okung um, had some issues with the NFLPA. I spoke with um, some players, some friends of mine who, and Eric, you can let me know if you know anything about this, who told me, and I, I, you know, I smoke a lot of weed, please don't judge me, but I was told that the offensive linemen of the NFL basically clicked up and voted to make sure that they had the representation uh, for the NFL. PA and they would make all of the decisions and they were part of the reason that this vote changed from the group to like seven people. So my thing is why would why would the the, the committee want to work for the, the the league? I know what D. Marie Smith is doing and I understand why he's doing what he's doing, but why would the NFLPA members be okay with having someone that's representing them in a way that is not for them? I can't answer that. I mean, I, I wasn't privy to the offensive linemen getting together to to make changes in the PA. This is the first that I've heard of it. Um, I can only speak to what, what Ben has already said. The, the NFL PA is supposed to represent the interests of the players and the former players. And I think one other – I just think it's horrendous issue here is that 
these former players who are totally and permanently disabled were promised these benefits for life. And now they're retroactively taking those benefits away, something that they've already been awarded. Their contract says for life on it, and now you're changing that. Um, it's just it's unacceptable. Um, one of the people who makes my ass itch a lot is Stephen A. Smith, and he loves to attack you. Um, just from his misinformed information about you and Malcolm Jenkins, you know, incident during a game to now he's saying that because you are the person bringing forward this information about the NFL's CBA being changed, he doesn't want to listen to it. How do you feel knowing that this such a big figure, you know, the, the head basically of ESPN is trying to discredit what you're saying just because he doesn't like you? How do you feel hearing him saying things like, oh, well, if it came from Richard Sherman, then I would listen. But because it's Eric Reed, I'm not listening. Um, I'm not surprised by it. Um, folks in his position have talked about myself and, and Colin and, and said things about us from when we were protesting. Um, and I'm not bothered by it. I know that I stand and I abide in the truth. Um, the second I tell a lie, the second I can't look at myself in the mirror, and I'll stop doing what I'm doing, but I'll continue pushing forward in the truth. Um, and unless you prove me wrong, then and I'm going to keep going. You're a much better person than I am. I've called him some very disrespectful names on my podcast and on my live. I, I really can't hold myself together when I see someone with such a big platform and a black man to, at, at that not speaking positive into us all. I think that you should have been commended regardless of whatever, if you smacked a guy at, at, at the 50 yard line, whatever you did, just the fact that you have the stones to stand up to a billion dollar corporation. For me, I just think that that's incredible and, and you should be commended for that. And, and you should be taken very serious because you were right. As your attorney just said, you were correct. And if you were, if he was a true journalist, he would, say to you know his thousands millions of listeners and watchers that hey there here's a guy that we should be you know proud of and we should be listening to but but for some reason people don't like the truth is what i'm learning they don't like the truth and if it has anything to do with them losing money or losing status which i believe stephen a smith speaks for you know the man he, he he's a hired gun to, in my opinion to um, discredit anyone that's speaking truth about some of these things, especially racially injust injustices, as well as him coming out saying Cap didn't want to work out. That's why he changed, you know, just completely ignoring the fact that there was a waiver added in. And that, that's another thing I wanted to ask you, Ben. Was that waiver that they tried to trick Colin into signing before his workout added into the CBA? So that's one of the things as well. There's actually significant preemption language in the CBA that expands the scope, meaning that a lot more cases will be compelled into arbitrations as opposed to being litigated in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in open court. So variations of that were in fact you know, integrated into what's called a preemption clause to try to basically prevent any of these lawsuits from getting into, you know, from getting into courts. But, but certainly, you know, we caught and exposed what was a bait and switch. You know, that was another example where Stephen A. was saying, this is the same waiver everybody uses, you know, which was then exposed, you know, to be false. 
Um, but, you know, I think they think, look, if you have the headline say something or if you, you know, yell and scream, you know, and, and that's the easy way of drawing attention versus the difficult work that Colin, you know, and Eric do, you know, protesting systemic oppression, standing up for the rights of disabled individuals. That's not easy work. It's easy if you wanted to go and yell and scream and talk about how great Roger Goodell is and talk about how great the NFL is and just condemn people without facts. Like anybody can make millions of dollars doing that, you know, if you don't have a conscience and you don't have a heart. Like it's not difficult to do that and it's kind of despicable. But the hard work is digging into a 456-page document, seeing who it exploits and trying to help the most vulnerable because ultimately that's how we're ultimately all going to be judged not what did we do to enrich ourselves but how did we use our platforms to help those who are most vulnerable and you said something a little earlier and i wanted you to explain it you said arbitration versus lit- litigation what's the difference between those two how how is that a win for arbitration as opposed to litigation for the nfl so arbitrations are usually secret proceedings um, where the NFL usually picks who's going to be its own judge in the case that it that mm-hmm. arguably against it. So usually the judge that they pick or a judge that them and the NFLPA pick together is going to have a certain view about the players. That's usually mm-hmm. not a, a favorable one. I would certainly much prefer a jury of my peers, you know, to be ruling on these types of facts than, you know, an NFL appointed gun. And then in the NFL appeals through arbitration and then goes to like another arbitration panel where Roger Goodell and others actually sometimes even serve as the arbitrators who can then rule on whether the initial arbitrator made a mistake. And that's why it's very difficult, you know, to ever prevail, if at all, in an arbitration because they're ruling, the NFL is ruling on themselves. And so they're not going to rule negatively against themselves. Understood. And now, Eric, um, seven-year pro, as I said, playing incredible. This past season, you, you broke two franchise records with the Carolina Panthers. Congratulations. But here we are, April 16th, and you find yourself a free agent. Um, how frustrated are you right now, considering what a great season you had last year, and now you don't have a home yet? Um, I'm at peace with my career. Um, I want to play the game. I love this game, but I love, I love Jesus more. And I do what I do for, for Christ. And if my career is over because ownership and teams can't deal with somebody speaking out against them in truth, then it is what it is. And, and I'll move on with my life. But um, to, to your point, I, I set two franchise records last year and I'm not on the team. And so we'll see what happens moving forward. So what's going to happen for you moving forward? Are you planning to continue to uh, pursue a, a lawsuit against the NFL or is it against the NFLPA as well? Who, who would you be suing? Who would you be bringing litigation to for this, for this uh, issue with the contract? You know, it's a little premature on the legal action. Okay. I mean, what we want to do right now is bring awareness to the issue. That's why we've held the town hall with the wives of disabled players, just to, you know, just to get the facts out there with mm-hmm. other retired players, you know, and the hope is, is that the truth enough, people learning about these issues, the executive committee members, you know, realizing how they were, you know, duped, you know, by the, by their own union as well. You know, the hope is they do, they do the right thing. 
Um, but ultimately, if we have to, you know, work with these disabled players, you know, work with current voting members, you know, who are not told the truth, you know, when there were changes made to the CBA, you know, there are a number of legal remedies that we can use, you know, to revoke the CBA, to make sure that benefits that were promised to retired disabled players, you know, remain in, remain in place. You know, and there's a number of ways that can, number of ways and forms that, that could take. That could be a, a federal action. It could be an action before the nation, the National Labor Relations Board. So there's a lot of options at our kind of collective disposal. But look, you know, it, it, it's not about me and it's not about Eric and about Eric's lawsuit or a Ben lawsuit. You know, we have 400, 500, 600 retired disabled players who are talking to me and Eric, you know, every day and sharing their stories because they don't know if they're going to live in their home tomorrow. Um, and they're dealing with the COVID pandemic. They're dealing with the crisis caused by the CBA. They're dealing with their own PTSD and CTE and they need help. And so what Eric's speaking for in terms of what a lawsuit could look like or what I'm speaking for are really what the benefits for these group of retired disabled players. Um, Eric, a lot of uh, players retired and current uh, listen to my podcast. So, oh, that's cute. So is there anything that you want to say to them or to that they, they should be doing or if they want to help, if they want to figure out how they can help and just any way that they can, you know, assist you in your process of it's just trying to do right by the, the league? Um, right now, I think we just have to be using our voice, um, the PR battle, being loud on Twitter, being loud in interviews like the one I'm doing with you. Um, we have to make this a an issue for people to understand because I think right now people think that it's billionaire owners arguing with millionaire players, and that's not the case. Um right the majority of these folks that we're talking about who depend on these disability benefits didn't play the game during a time where the player was getting paid like myself and like your husband were getting paid. Um, these folks rely on these benefits. They were promised it for life. And now the NFL is taking it away from them. The, these are the people that the billionaires made their money on the backs of players from the sixties and seventies and eighties who who have CTE now and who who can't work a job because because of the injuries they sustain and now and now the NFLPA and the NFL are taking away what they their livelihood. Well, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you both for what you're doing. Um, I will continue to be a voice for you, Eric. Is if you ever need me to to speak or to do anything please feel free to reach out to me um and i do absolutely appreciate both of you guys' time for coming on and speaking about this is there anything that you guys want to say in closing before we head out because i don't want to hold you too long plus i gotta cook dinner <laughs> thanks for having me uh. appreciate it miko thank you keep the fight alive eric man we need you regardless of whatever is going on you're needed not just for the nfl but just for the people in general. And I know that this isn't just a black thing. This is everybody's thing, racism, um, inequalities, police brutality. These are all American things, not just black things. And hopefully one day we can all be one voice and speak together about right and wrong. So thank you so much for your fight. Thank you. 
Thank you guys so much for joining me for episode 209. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope it educated you and informed you on the real happenings of the NFL PA and the new CBA. And hopefully, you know, if we keep talking about these things and we keep speaking positively and we speak truth, then hopefully things will change. That's the only way that things will change is if we continue to speak the truth. We know that the history of this country is built on lies and the only way that um, things can be restored to where they need to be is truth. So always continue to be a voice of truth and love and positivity. And hopefully we'll get out of this pandemic faster and, and, and being truthful about that as well because we all know there's a lot of lies and things that are going on. But just, just try to practice truth, everyone. Try to be truthful, try to be positive, try to be passionate about everything you do. And hopefully the world will be a better place after that. Peace. Hey,